All right, all right. May our gracious God open our hearts and our ears and our minds to hear what he has uh, to say to us this morning. Uh, It's uh, great to be able to spend this time together. From time to time, you see like People Magazine, they have like the 50 most beautiful people in the world. Have you seen these? Don't pretend like you haven't. If you, yeah, and you, you thumb through just to see if your picture's there. Uh, a year ago, a year ago, Chris and I ran into the most beautiful, stunningly beautiful person that we have ever met in the world. And this is the picture. I just want to share this with you. That's, that's Preston. And when he came into our lives last year, it's my son's son, only grandson that we have, we became stalkers. I mean, like, we text them and say, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? Which means, can Preston come out and play? And so that's uh, Preston enjoying pancakes with, uh, with, with Grandpa. That's him. And I wanted to start out with a pleasant picture because this uh, conversation is going to go in a radically unpleasant direction really, really fast by talking about the nine most dis- uh, disruptive words in the Bible, or at least nine of the most disruptive words in the Bible, and these are them. Ready? Ready? I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. Let's read those out loud together better than I just did. Ready? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, here's the question. Who in the world wrote that, and what were they thinking? I have learned to be content when... Whatever the circumstances, who in the world wrote that and what were they thinking? And we're going to spend about the next half hour answering those two questions. Who wrote that? And what were they thinking and why and what message were they attempting to get across? Those words are found in uh, Philippians chapter 4. And the author is uh, the Apostle Paul and he's writing to a group of Jesus followers. He's writing to a Jesus community as the title of the letter, Philippians, would indicate in the Greek city of, of Philippi. And so I, I want to take you to Philippi just for a minute, just so you can kind of get your brain around a, a space, uh, Jerusalem to the lower right. This is Kavallah. This is not Philippi, but about 10 miles away. I happened to be there on uh, market day, and then out of Kavallah, the port, there's the Ignatian Way, the Roman road that stretches. Up. Ah, my friends, that is the Roman Forum of Philippi, where the administrative offices and the uh, shopping would have been. This is the Greek theater that was built. You ever heard of a guy named Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great's dad founded Philippi. His name was Philip of Macedon. And so Philip of Macedon founds this city, names it after himself, Philippi. In about 51 AD, the Apostle Paul travels to this northern Greek city, begins to teach, begins to preach, and establishes what we believe is a relatively small group of Jesus followers there. And Paul stays there for a brief period of time, getting them grounded in the way of Christ Christ comes, he lives, he's crucified, he comes back to life, he is God in human skin. Salvation, rescue is known only through him. We are incapable of self-rescue. Paul presents this message that the Christ came for you and some people respond and then he leaves and a year goes by and two years, three years, five years, seven years, nine years, ten years. And it's about 61 A.D. that Paul is not traveling. He's not in Ephesus. He's not in Philippi. He's not in Corinth. He's not in Athens. My friends, he's imprisoned in Rome. And we don't think it was a dungeon-type situation. It was probably house arrest where you need to rent an apartment. But he talks about his chains. And so apparently he is chained up to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. 
Now, my understanding of Roman incarceration is that they would supply you with the bare basic necessities of life, maybe something to wear, maybe some bread to eat. But if you wanted to eat anything with nutritional value or be clothed in a sufficient way, you either had to have personal wealth or outside friends would have to come to your aid. And there's a day where the door of Paul's apartment swings open, where he's under house arrest, where he's chained up 24 hours a day, and a guy walks in. The guy's name is Epaphroditus, and he is from Philippi. And he has come from Philippi to Rome in order to find Paul, in order to locate Paul, in order to bring Paul a financial gift from the Philippians. I wonder if Paul wept when this guy walks through the door. I mean, the last map here shows you the location of Philippi and also the location of Rome. This is not a short journey. It involved a voyage. You take the Ignatian Way to the other side of Greece, and then you would take a boat to, the, uh, you know, to Italy, and then you would take the Appian Way, I believe it is, into Rome. And this guy, Epaphroditus, shows up representing the Philippian church and says, they sent me to take care of you. And I wonder what that money meant to him. I wonder if it meant a better diet. I wonder if it meant protein. I wonder if it meant a coat for the winter. And it is in the context of receiving that gift that Paul writes, you need to know something, though. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. How do you say thank you for something like that? Because we think now, you know, well, now that he's got this extra income, and now that he has these funds, he probably has a level of joy, and he probably has a level of peace in his life that he was lacking before. And as Paul writes his thank you note to them for the money, he says, yeah, no, 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 no. You need to understand something. I had joy before the gift arrived. I had peace before the gift arrived. And as he writes his thank you note, he says, I, because I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. My friends, those words were written by an inmate. Those words were written by someone that was not where they desired to be. So we're going to talk about contentment. We're going to talk about uh, contentment and then two other conversations, a conversation about strength and a conversation about trust. But first conversation, first conversation is about contentment. Uh, listen, uh, devote yourself to the school of contentment, and you discover a life of freedom. Contentment is freedom. Contentment frees you from buying stuff that you don't need and will never use. Contentment can free you to re-envision your future around generosity rather than a future that revolves around acquisition. Contentment can free you, ready? Contentment can free you to enjoy the stuff that you have without thinking that peace and joy are one more purchase away. Contentment is freedom. And it's the first of our three conversations. Conversation about contentment, conversation about strength, and then conversation about trust. So uh, who wrote this and what were they thinking? Let's read uh, the whole verse together from Philippians chapter 4, verse, uh, second half of uh, verse 11. It says, uh, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And check this out with me. He says, I know what it is to be in need, right? Uh, uh, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, I love this, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And then he kind of lines this out a bit. He says, whether well-fed 
or going hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And I read that, and I just realized that Paul, in his journeys and in his travels, had experienced two radically different lifestyles and was able to have joy and was able to have peace with either one. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to have lots of food, and I know what it is to go hungry. If Paul were writing this today, he might write something like this. He might, he might write, um, I know what it is to fly business class. And I know what it is to spend all night on a Greyhound bus trying to get a couple hours of sleep. And I have, have joy and peace in, in either of those situations. Paul might say, I know what it's like to stay at the Broadmoor. And I know what it's like to hole up in some seedy hotel where it is very evident that the sheets had not been changed in a long, long time. And I had peace and joy in either situation. I believe Paul would write to us something like, you know, I know what it's like to enjoy a phenomenal steak at Ruth's Chris, and I know what it's like to go two days without eating anything. I know what it's like to have a wallet that is full, and I know what it's like to have a wallet that is empty and go, dear Lord, what are we going to do? And he says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I have learned to be content. Are these powerful words to explore together? All right. So when Paul said he was content in whatever circumstances, let's talk about what contentment is and what contentment isn't. So uh, I, found this, I found this phenomenal definition about contentment, and it reads like this. It says, contentment, I love this, contentment is the cultivation of what? A satisfied heart. And then the next slide finishes uh, the, the quote. Contentment is not achieved through getting everything we want, but training the heart to experience full joy and deep peace, even when we don't get what we want. Oh, I wrote that. Uh, <laughs> contentment. Contentment is being fully alive to God and fully alive to other people, even when we don't get what we want. And that's the challenge, isn't it? to be in space that we, won't, that we do not desire to be in, to be in a situation we want out of, and yet in that season, to be fully alive to God and to be fully alive to other people. Do you want that? I want it for me. And so three critical words with contentment. The words are here and now. Can you say them out loud with me? Ready? Here and now. This represents where I am. This represents where you are. And uh, we believe that peace and joy are somewhere down there, there and then. And the word of contentment is, no, 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 not there and then, but what? What are the three words? Here and now, here and now, here and now. Uh, I found this quote, this guy by the name of uh, Duo Dickinson. He writes this book on the power of remodeling your house instead of moving. Uh, it, uh, staying put was the name of his book. Duo Dickinson wrote this in his renovation book. Ready? He said, if you don't like yourself, your house will not make you like yourself better. If your family is dysfunctional, a new home will not put it together. Any renovation you attempt as psychological balm is destined to fail. To fail. I have no idea what his faith uh, point is on this, or where, where, where he's coming from, from a worldview perspective, but I love that. He's like saying, oh, 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 before you rip the kitchen and family room apart, you just need to realize if your family's messed up, a new family room will not heal this. If you don't like you, a new family room, a new living room, a new bedroom suite will not fix this. Any renovation you attempt is psychological balm is destined to fail. What's Dickinson saying? He's saying, here and now, here and now, here and now. Come to peace with yourself. Come to peace with others here and now. And then you've got a shot at enjoying there and then. Love that. Here and now, here and now. It's the voice of contentment. 
This next picture is, uh, is, is my hero. Uh, it's a guy by the name of uh, Fred Rogers. Is in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood of make-believe. 33 years he was on the air, 1968 uh, to 2001. And toward the end of his life, he wrote this statement, and I love it. Fred Rogers wrote, he said, The older I get, the more I've come to believe that nothing I buy can take away my loneliness, fill my emptiness, or heal my brokenness. What's he saying? Here and now, here and now, here and now. The older I get, the more I've come to believe that nothing I buy can take away my loneliness, fill my emptiness, heal my brokenness. I've quoted that at church more than once. My father, my dear 75-year-old father, is in attendance. He listens to me preach. He takes notes. He's a fan. And a short time ago, he went automobile shopping. And uh, he, he, he bought a, a Denali. This is kind of a larger, it's like, it's like just him. It's like him and my stepmom. And it's like, dude, why do you need like two rows behind you? You know, and, and so uh, funny story, uh, he's walking around the car with the, at the dealership, with the car dealer, and he's trying to ask the right questions. And he asks the, 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 the sales guy, he says, hey, what kind of mileage does it get? And the sales guy goes, why? <laughs> do you go anywhere? My dad goes, nope. And he goes, then you don't care. My dad said, okay. So he buys the Denali and was really excited about this. So I'm at home. I call my dad and I said, dad, how's the new ride? How do you like your vehicle? And he said, Jeff, my father, who is a fan, said, Jeff, all I can tell you is it took away my loneliness, filled my emptiness, and healed my brokenness. I'm going, how long have you been waiting to use that line back on me? Here and now, here and now, here and now. And, of course, people enduring a long Michigan winter go, go no stinking way. Here and now is the frozen tundra. Jeff, no, peace is there and then at vacation paradise. That... That is where there will be peace. You know, the problems with vacation is that we have to take us. It's a family of four. He's waiting in the bedroom area. She's in the other room applying makeup. He flips on the TV. She's upset at home that he watches way too much TV, way too much sports. She walks in. She doesn't say anything, but she sees the TV with a, some sports center thing and then looks at him. She doesn't say anything, but she gets kind of huffy. And then he's there. He's like, what, what? I mean, you just want me to stare and stare out the window or something? And he gets miffed that she's huffy. So 20, 25 minutes later, Huffy and Miff walk to dinner together. <laughs> And they're followed by their 14 and 16-year-old, silent and surly. <laughs> and as they get to the restaurant, this is like this Japanese-themed restaurant where they cook for you in front of you. You know, he's thinking, I can't believe how much this is costing me. And they open the door to the Japanese restaurant, and 16-year-old surly goes, this is lame. <laughs> Welcome to paradise. Now, I'm not saying that vacations are, are, are miserable. They are, and by the way, when they get home, they will post a picture of the four of them smiling by the ocean. 
and their friends who see the Facebook picture go, why, why is every other family having fun while ours is miserable? <laughs> you do know this, right? That people frequently post the pictures of themselves at their slimmest and at their most interesting moments. I mean, people almost never post, here I am sitting in a meeting. <laughs> Hour later, still in the same meeting. <laughs> this is me watching TV alone again. I so over ate over New Year's. Do I look bloated to you? <laughs> you know. So they get back and they post this picture and people go, they go why, why are we the only per people that are messed up? Why can't we have a happy family like everybody else? Now, the point here isn't that vacations are, 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 are miserable. The point here is simply that most of them are blended. Here and now, here and now, here and now. This is what I'm saying about this, is that the, the more we grow in the skill of enjoying imperfect people in imperfect places here, the more it prepares the heart to enjoy imperfect people in imperfect places there. But I should not fall under the illusion that simply changing my physical space will somehow restore my heart. That won't fix me. I'm telling you, this is freedom. Here and now, here and now, here and now. No, Jeff, I cannot have peace and joy now. Our 17-year-old daughter is in rebellion. I will only have joy and peace when she changes. Are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to link your spiritual equilibrium to hers? You might be waiting a really long time to have joy and peace if you're waiting for her to change. If, if you're demanding that she change and you're linking your peace to her behavior. My friends, the voice of contentment says here and now, here and now. Here and now, it's freedom. And Paul says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. And right now, some of you go, Jeff, dude, this is hard. You know, our stuff just seems to get a hold of us. And I don't think, I mean, look, he's the apostle Paul. I'm not. Did you notice Paul's words, I have learned to be content? He says it twice. I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret of being content. What if this didn't come naturally for him? I suspect that Paul came from money. His family has Roman citizenship. He's highly educated. And in his youth, he scores an internship in Jerusalem with the leading rabbi of the day, a guy by the name of Gamaliel. You don't get an internship with Gamaliel unless your family's connected. I suspect that Paul came from wealth. And I think that in his travels and in his hardship and in his hunger, I think he had to learn the contented life. But when we look at this topic and we go, Jeff, here and now, here and now, here and now, I just don't have the strength. You need to know something. Neither did Paul. We just read verses 11 and 12. I'd like you to take a peek at the very next verse is where Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
Is that verse familiar to you? I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now you know the context. The context, the context is a person finding contentment while incarcerated. He says, I can do this through him who gives me strength. Understand something Paul had outside hell. Paul was able to find contentment here and now, here and now, here and now, even chained up to a Roman guard because of the power and presence of Christ in his life. But I think Paul would say, oh, no, 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 you got to understand. I didn't just man up and do this. I had to have outside help. I needed Christ's strength to do this. They already knew that. The Philippians, I think they, are, they had seen it. Ten years before, ten years before Epaphroditus brings the gift, Paul is in Philippi, and he experiences two radically different forms of hospitality. It says that he and his team, uh, Luke... Uh, Timothy, Silas, on the Sabbath, Saturday, they go outside to this river and Paul teaches there and the Lord opens the heart of a businesswoman by the name, does anyone know the name of the businesswoman in Philippi? It was Lydia, a seller of purple cloth, and she says, if you consider me worthy as a partner in the gospel, uh, I would love for you to stay, your team to stay at my estate, at my home. And apparently she had a large enough place to invite the four of them to come stay, and they experienced Lydia's hospitality. Remember that? I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Guess which one this one? This one was, this one was plenty. And then Paul and Silas get sideways with the authorities. Their cloaks are removed. And in that Roman forum, the picture that you saw of the Roman forum in the video, they are bent over and they are flogged. And then it says that they are put in prison in stocks. Now, if your feet are in stocks and your back is in wretched condition, you can't lay down. It's an awkward situation to be in physically. And it says that at midnight, Paul and Silas sang praise to God. Now, there's an earthquake that takes place, and the, 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 the shackles come loose. The, the miracle of that story is not simply that the earthquake takes place. The miracle to me is that you have two guys with bleeding backs singing praise to God at midnight. The people in Philippi had seen it. They had seen God's strength. My friends, this is what we call praise from the pit. It's offering worship to God and praise to God and honor to God and glory to God with, bleeding, with a bleeding back where we are not where we want to be. Paul says, he was with us. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I had you say three words earlier. It was here and now. I would like you to say three other words with me now. It was just, he's with me. Can you say it now? He's with me. And those of you that think, Jeff, I don't have the strength to do this, we're feeling a stirring about what God is leading us to as we're here at this generous giving conference, and we, we don't have the strength to do it. Listen, he's with you. He's with you as you renovate your dreams. He's with you as you enter another round of chemo. He's with you as you attempt to discern the best and wisest way to assist a runaway child. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. A thousand years before the time of Jesus, there's a king by the name of David. His most famous song is Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's got that piece that goes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are 
with me. I refuse to live in anxiety. You're with me. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Nine of the most disruptive words in our Bible. Who in the world said that and what were they thinking? It was Paul after he received this gift brought by Epaphroditus. Maybe it allowed him to buy food and clothing that he was unable to purchase before. And there's something in my heart that goes, I am so thankful that he had wealthy friends who were able to give him assistance in his hour of need. The Philippians were not wealthy people. There are several indications in our Bible that they were poverty-stricken. That, that passage in was 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Philippi is in Macedonia. Out of their severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. I think that they gave a gift that they couldn't afford to give. And so in his thank you note, Paul is like going like, listen, I just need you to know that God's going to take care of you. It's the third conversation. It's a conversation about trust. And again, it's a verse we know. It's verse 19 where Paul writes, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing back to his friends, and he says, Listen, God, I believe that God will meet all your needs. Rats. I wish that said something else. Desires, luxuries. Uh, my God will meet all your needs. I think they gave a gift they couldn't afford. And Paul is now saying, listen, I honestly believe, I honestly believe that my God will meet every single need that you have. I've discovered something about, about giving money away. Some of you want to, to write this down. It's, it's profound. Um, when I give money away, it's not mine anymore. Thank you. When I give money away, it's not mine anymore. It's not mine for a renovation. It's not mine for a phenomenal trip. It's not mine to save and invest for the future. When I give money away, it's not mine anymore. And there's something that surfaces in the heart that goes, okay, God, if I'm looking out for everybody else, who's going to look out for me? And what if our Lord whispers, I will? That's the story of Philippians chapter 4. Verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs. We got we to talk about this. So I'm going to massacre a drawing up here, so st stick with me. Uh, very, very simple uh, type things. So let's say God. And uh, down here, just going to write you. Uh, and this is, this is money that is released from a bank account that has our name on it. And so, just going to call this giving. Okay, let's call this generous giving. Yes, there we go. Uh, and you go, okay, listen, if I release this for your interest, for your kingdom, for something that interests you, how am I going to be sure that I'm going to have what I need? How am I going to be sure that I'm going to have enough? You ready? How am I going to be sure that I'm going to be enough? Because money is not only about Security, it's also about significance. The stuff we buy, security and significance. How can I, and so here you have something called 
is put a P here for provision. And I believe that when we begin to open our hearts to giving, we enter a cycle, a cycle of care. Where God says, you give and I'll provide, you give and I'll provide, you give and I'll provide, you give and I'll provide. But a cycle of care is also a cycle of trust. You give and I'll provide, you give and I'll provide. I'll be looking out for you. Trust me. It's a powerful moment right now. Because over the course of the conversations you hear and over the course of the conversations you have, many of you will be feeling a nudge that you believe to be from the Holy Spirit of God to take more aggressive action in financial generosity than you have ever taken in your life. Do not be surprised at all if fear kicks in and this question, Jeff, you know, God, I, I don't know if we're going to have enough. I don't know if we're going to be enough if we do this. And you will hear God say, I want you to trust me. And I think one of the most powerful things you can say is, I don't. Because then at least, you have, at least now you have something to fight about. And maybe one of the best prayers is, uh, I trust you more than I did two years ago. And I hope that two years from now, I trust you even more. I think one of the best prayers is, Lord, help me to trust you more. My challenge to you is, do not wait for this somehow to kick in, in some moment, brilliant moment, I, I would encourage you, begin to move and allow God to meet you along the way. You realize the most lethal word, the most lethal word in relationship to generosity isn't the word no. Good-hearted believers almost never tell God no. They use a more lethal word. You know what the more lethal word is? Later. And it's lethal because we mean it. And so just follow just a common, ordinary couple. They're college age, and they go, listen, listen, they just graduated one of those days. We want to be those generous people who just support missions and are a blessing to their church and help the kingdom spread around the world. But are you kidding me? Right now, you're kidding, right? I mean, right now, we've got some student loans to pay off. We're just getting our first real jobs. Not now, obviously, but... But later, fast forward the tape, five, seven, ten years. Maybe now there is a wedding. Maybe now there's these little munchkins toddling around the house. And the expenses now are around automobiles and moving out of this smaller house into a, into a larger house about, you know, vacations. And they go, listen, listen, we definitely want to be those generous type people. But, I mean, look at us raising kids right now. Obviously not going to happen now, but... Later, and then fast forward the tape, and the dude's 45, and these kids are college-bound. Have any of you found college costs reducing as time goes on? We want to help them. And how do I know I've set enough money aside for my retirement? And all of a sudden, you wake up, and you're 62, and it hasn't happened for you because what happened was that later really meant no. Later is lethal. And so I just challenge you. Enter the cycle of care. Enter the cycle of trust. Trust is what God has wanted from the beginning of time. Adam, Eve, enjoy everything here, but not that one. Trust me. Nope. Israelites in the desert, three days without water. God said, listen, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. Trust is something he has wanted from the beginning of time. Where I say, I yield this, and I trust you. Let's say those three words together. I trust you. Ready? 
I trust you. Say it with me, here and now. Here and now. Say it with me, he's with me. Say it with me, I trust you. Or at least, I want to trust you more. So my question is, where did this, where did this find you today? Uh, that, 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 that here and now, I have learned to be content, fully alive to God, here and now. And you went, Jeff, when I go through something nasty, I become nasty. When I go through a trial, I become a trial. That is not the kind of person I want to be. I want to be alive to God. I want to be alive to people, even when I'm not in space. And those words, here and now, here and now, here and now, maybe that's why you were here this morning. And he's with you. Some of you just needed that reminder. He's with me. We're not alone. Strength comes from him. He's with me. And this whole cycle of trust, if we take care of God's interests, who's taking care of us? And he says, God, I trust you. I trust you. Or I want to trust you more. I want to pray for you, and then we have a, a fun exercise discussion to go over together. So let me close out this time by, by asking God for some significant things, and then we'll lead you in the exercise.